If you remember, the, the ten of Joseph's brothers have gone down to Egypt. They've got some food. They've met Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph. Joseph's accused them of being spies, but then he's uh, and is, is talking, saying, no, 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 if you're going to prove that you're you are who you say you are. You need to bring your other brother back with you when you come again. Uh, and until you do that, I'm going to keep one of you here uh, in Egypt. And so Simeon is still in Egypt. Uh, the brothers have gone home to Jacob. Jacob's not particularly impressed with the idea of sending Benjamin to Egypt. So uh, that's where we'll pick it up. Genesis chapter 43. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they'd eaten all the grain they bought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, you will not see my face again until your brother is with you, unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, why do you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, the the man questioned us closely about these things, about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us, do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know, he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also. And go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver, and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. Uh, We beg your pardon, our lords, they said. 
We came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we brought it back with us. We've also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said to them. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. And when Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they brought him uh, brought into the house. And they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were. Then he said, how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, your servant, our father is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews for that is detestable to, to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. What if... Could sum up a lot of this chapter with those two words. Beginning of the chapter, we see a family that is full of fear. What will happen? What if Benjamin never comes back? What if he thinks we stole the silver? What if the man makes us slaves? What if? What if? What if? As we look at this today, we can ask ourselves this question. How do we trust God in the face of all the what-ifs? How do we trust God when our minds are prone to imagine the worst-case scenario? How do we trust God when asking, what on earth is going to happen? In other words, how do we respond in faith and not fear? How do we take hold of Jesus' command in Matthew 6, verse 34? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. You see, through certainly the beginning of this chapter and quite a long way through it, we see a family that is full of fear. We're going to look at that and then we'll ask ourselves, how do we respond in faith and not fear? In one sense, you can be fairly sympathetic with Jacob and his family. The situation is not brilliant. The situation is that Certainly for Jacob, Joseph, his son, is, as far as he knows, dead. 
He's gone. He's been gone for years. He's been living with this bereavement for years. And now his sons have gone down to Egypt, this powerful nation that's got food, and they've been presented before this powerful man who's questioned them and he's accused them of being spies and has agreed to sell them some food, but he said, you need to prove yourselves to me. Are you honest men like you say you are? Well, leave one of your brothers here. Okay, so one of their brothers is already trapped there. And they've come home, and the task he set them is, bring your youngest brother. And Jacob's thinking, oh man. Oh man. He's got two sons of one particular wife, of Rachel. Joseph's dead. Benjamin's the only one left. And he's got this picture of this man in Egypt who's just sending them away and saying, you've got, to, you've got to do this. You've got to prove yourselves to me. I'm keeping your brother here. I can do that. You can't do anything to stop me. I'm the one who's got the food. You've got to pay me the money. Wow. It doesn't look like a great situation. For Jacob particularly, Joseph's gone. Now they want Benjamin. It's easy to build a very fearful picture looking at the circumstances they face. Of course, Joseph's brothers have got a bit more information in that. They know, well, Joseph might be dead, but yeah, we've got this secret that we've been keeping for the last 20 years. But they've met the man. They know, yeah, he's pretty powerful. What's going on? It's easy for them to have built a picture up And so therefore, we see as we read these early verses, the effects of fear on them. In fact, before we even start this chapter, we can see the first thing that fear has done to Jacob is fear paralyzes. Fears led to Jacob trying to ignore the problem, push it aside. What do we read? The first verse. Now, the famine was still severe in the land, so when they'd eaten all the grain that they brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy a little more food. Let me put that into context. They brought loads of grain back with them. A lot of time has passed. When they arrived back, they told him, we need to go back to get Simeon. We need to take Benjamin down with us to get Simeon. And Jacob has said, I don't want to hear that. No. Let's just eat the food you've brought. Let's wait. Let's eat the food you've brought and we won't talk about it for now. You see, Jacob's been in this place. They've come back. They've explained the problem and he said, no. I'm too afraid. I'm not going to act to rescue Simeon. Despite right at the end of chapter 42, Reuben comes out and says, no. In verse 37, Father, you may put both of my sons to death if I don't bring him, Benjamin, back to you. Entrust him to my care and I'll bring him back. Jacob's response, my son will not go down there with you. I'm not listening. Paralyzed by fear. Fear of losing Benjamin. I will not risk anything for him. I won't lose him. Paralyzed by fear. You see, it's, it's, it's almost like I haven't done this, so I will, I'll uh, go with it. You can imagine some people doing a bungee jump. And they get to the edge, and they're ready to go. And and as far as I've heard, everyone says, when you're doing a bungee jump, don't stop and think about it. But you stop and think about it. 
You just need to jump. Step forward. Well, I don't know the exact technique for a bungee jump. I think you jump. You jump. You jump. Just jump. Just jump. Stop looking down and thinking about it. Just jump. And after a while, I think, you realize this person's never going to jump. Fear's got in. They're paralyzed. It's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're never going to jump. So easy for when fear gets in. But this is what happens. It just stops us from being able to step into the things that God wants us to do. Steps, stops us from stepping into things that may be a bit scary. But they build up in our mind. I just can't do it. Just step forward. I can't lift my foot up. Fear paralyzes. But as we start to read, we see that fear can have some other effects. The famine was still severe in the land, so when they'd eaten all the grain they'd brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. You see, finally, Jacob is stirred to action. The food's run out. He's not acted to save Simeon, but now the food's run out. He seems to be stirred to action. His paralysis might be over. But note what he says. The famine is still severe in the land. And the father says to him, go back and buy a little more food. You see, even in these words, Jacob seems to be doing something else that fear can lead us to. He's playing things down. He's fudging it. Jacob knows he can't avoid the problem anymore, but he still doesn't really want to go there. I.e., he doesn't want to let Benjamin go with them. So with the famine raging around them, the famine is still severe in the land. They're not growing anything. They've run out of food. There's nothing growing. Obviously, they, seem to have some, they do seem to have some almonds and things, but they're not able to grow grain. They're not able to grow anything staple that's going to sustain them. There's nothing happening. Go and buy a little more food. You see, maybe if I just ask you to go and buy a little more food, you can sneak down there, just ask just a little bit more. Let's not bring up the issue about Benjamin and Simeon. Let's forget about that. Just a little bit more food. And we don't have to go to the real issue. You see, Jacob's got into action, but he doesn't want to go there still. Fudging it, playing it down. So easy to do out of fear. It's so easy to avoid facing an issue head on. But the problem with that, so often issues, are, issues have come up. Maybe there's issues within relationships or things, and you just think, oh, I'm so scared to even go there. But I know I need to face this somehow. And you just kind of skirt around the edges a little bit. Uh, but the problem is that just leads to so many misunderstandings. Leads to so many, can lead to so many problems and just end up carrying pain for so much longer. Jacob knows he needs to act, but he doesn't really want to go there still, so he plays things down. But of course, as we go on, the brothers are very clear with him. Of course, this isn't going to work. The man warned us solemnly, you won't see my face again. Never mind buying a little bit more grain, never mind anything. You won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. And so they ask him, they tell him, if you'll send Benjamin with us, we'll go. If not, then we won't. 
And so then in verse 6, we see the next effect of fear. It's we're acting. As we're acting in fear, as Jacob begins to point the finger. No longer paralyzed, perhaps no longer playing things down, but now he's pointing the fingers. This is your fault. Verse 6, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? Ah. When we're afraid, when we're in a situation, you just think, how on earth did we get here? Oh, why did you have to say that? Why did you say that we wouldn't have ended up here if you hadn't said that? Why did you tell him we had an, you had another brother? There was ten of you there, wasn't that enough? But of course, as they go on to explain, what did we do? All we did was answer his questions. He asked us about you, he asked us about Ben, he asked us about all the family. We couldn't do anything, but how would we know that he was going to ask him to send, ask you to send him down to him. But when we're afraid, when we're reacting out of fear, it's so easy to see, I can see how it's your fault, and it's your fault, and it's your fault, and it's your fault. I wouldn't be in this mess if it wasn't for all of you. And this is what Jacob begins to do. I wouldn't even have been here having to do this if it wasn't for dot, 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 whatever it may be. So easy for us to do when we're stressed and afraid. How have you got me into this mess? So we see that fear can paralyze. Fear can end up making us play things down. Fear can end up with us pointing the finger. And then right into the midst of all of this steps Judah. The Judah who has sold Joseph for a quick buck. The Judah who has got into that incredible mess with Tamar. And in Judah, we see a changed man. Verse 8, Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we'll go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him free, set him free, set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. You see the Judah that was all too ready to sell Joseph. The Judah who just messed up, but yet God brought him to his knees in humility. He's changed. In the midst of all this fear and mess and all this that's going on, and oh no, what are we going to do? What, can we take Benjamin? Can we not? Judah steps up. I guarantee him on my life. I'll bear the blame all my life. If, if I don't bring him back, it it's all on me, Dad. What a wonderful picture, right in the midst of all of this, of how God has worked in Judah, humbling him through the episode with Tamar, as we heard before. And finally, through Judah's words, Jacob does relent. Okay, if you must, you better take Benjamin. Verse 11. If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. And he goes on to explain the gift. Then take double the amount of silver with you. You must return the silver that was put back in the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. And take your brother also and go back to the man at once. 
And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So is Jacob now full of faith? I'm not entirely sure. I'm not sure. I don't think. Perhaps there is a bit of a rise of faith in Jacob. Okay, yes, I get it, Judah. You're going to guarantee it's like, I know we've got to do this. I better go for it. But actually, in some ways, perhaps we see another situation of, another outworking of fear here. Jacob appears somewhat resigned to his fate. If it must be. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Perhaps, as can be the case, Jacob here has just packed it in. Resigned to his fate. I hope God Almighty might show you mercy, but I'm not hugely expectant. Is he resigned to losing Benjamin? Is he resigned to the worst case scenario? So easy to come to that place. And we're faced with something hard, something fearful, something troubling. We know we've got to do it, but i am just resign myself. This is not going to happen. This is not going to work. You see, fear can so easily cause us, when we're facing something tough, just cause us to stop trusting, to stop believing, to just pack it in, in resignation. I know it's got to happen, but it's not going to work out. So easily the outcome of fear. But Jacob does relent. He says they can take Benjamin. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. And now they're off to Egypt. As they get there, Joseph sees them. And he orders that they be taken to his house. But let me see their fear kicks in again. Oh no, it's all about the silver, isn't it? We see in verse 17, fear panics. Fear causes us to panic and jump to conclusion. Jump to conclusions. You see, Joseph said to his steward, take them to my house. We, they obviously don't hear the conversation. Take them to my house. Kill, a, kill an animal. We're going to have lunch. But of course, as the brothers get there, here they are in verse 17. The man did as Joseph told him, took the men to Joseph's house. Now the man was fri- men were frightened when they were taken to the house. They thought this, we're brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. That's where their minds are going. But that's what fear does. It causes us as I'm saying it here, causes us to panic, causes us to jump to conclusions. So easy for fear to take hold like this. For us to jump to the worst case scenario. Of course this is going to end in disaster. Of course he's taken us here for a bad reason. Of course he's going to make us slaves and he's going to blame us for taking the silver and he's going to take our donkeys and he's going to throw us in prison and it's all going to be a nightmare. Fear so easily causes us to jump to conclusions. He's taken us to his house. It must be about this. However unfounded those thoughts may be. 
But in these first 17, 18 verses of this chapter, we see a family that is full of fear and acting out of it. A fear that paralyzes, a fear that causes Jacob to play down the problem, a fear, I can't remember my own points, that fear that ends up with him pointing the finger at them, blaming others, fear that causes, can cause us to just pack it in in resignation. And a fear that causes panic, leading to jumping to the worst conclusion. See a family filled with fear. What if? What will happen? What will the man think? We see this utter fear of the man. The man, the man, the man. Mentioned so often. The man told us. The man said. The man asked us questions. The man will think about the silver. The man, the man, the man. What he might do. So we see some terrified brothers sent by a fearful father, assuming the worst. What will the man do? But what do we find? What do they find? Verse 23. The steward gives us some wonderful words. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And the steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival because they'd heard that they were going to eat there. We see, in their case, immediately, so much of what they fear is shown to be unfounded. It's all right. Here's Simeon. Here's some water for your feet. You're going to have lunch soon. What do they find here? A complete, something that completely dumbfounds their expectations. Confounds their expectations? What's the right phrase? Anyway, it's completely against what they thought was going to happen. And then Joseph returns. Verse 26. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts that they brought into the house and they bowed down before him to the ground. Stop. I know this could be said of chapter 42, verse 6. But there was only 10 of them then. We see quietly and simply, both in chapter 42, verse 6, and here in chapter 43, very quietly, very simply, without any fanfare, Joseph's dream has come true. We see this 22 years on. 13 years of slavery and prison, 7 years of abundance, and possibly up to about 2 years, we'll read in the next chapter, of famine. And Joseph's brothers come and they all bow down before him. I had a dream, and all your sheaves of wheat were bowing down to mine. What's that all about? Well, here it is. Is it as expected? Joseph and his brothers could never have imagined this. 22 years on, in another land, Joseph is second in command of the nation of Egypt, and they don't even recognize him, but... What God says, 
he will do. What God has said, he will make come to pass. God gave Joseph a dream and it came about. Joseph, see, I've been in this all along. I've been working it out. You see, in this moment, Joseph's dream is not so much about them bowing down to him. Primarily, it's about, look, God is in control of this. God's been doing this all the way through. God's sovereign hand has been guiding this whole thing. And therefore, in this moment, perhaps for Joseph, this is a bit of an aside, perhaps there is the encouragement again, ah, God's been in this, God's, my dream has come true. Well, hang on, there was another dream. We didn't just have 11 stars, but the sun and moon were there. There was a sense of the whole family is involved. The whole family is involved in this. Maybe there's more to come. God's still at work. God's still doing something. Can I believe that we're all going to be reunited again? In this moment. But getting back to the point, the brothers are met with not what they're expecting. They're met with food and water for their feet. And Joseph returning. They bow down to him and Joseph asks, how are you? And how is your aged father? How are you? And as the verses go on, the brothers who were expecting their worst fears find their expectations completely torn up. You see, the brothers go fearing the man and they're welcomed by their brother. They don't know that yet. They go desperate for food and they're met with a lavish banquet. They go with little thought for their other brother and they're united with Simeon. And most of all, they go fearful for Benjamin and yet Benjamin is lavished with abundance. Benjamin's the one whom Joseph looks on and has to leave the room because the tears are flowing. Benjamin's the one who receives the abundance at mealtime, even more so than the abundance the others are getting. What they find is an amazing turnaround, which of course is not over yet. They're not yet reunited. Joseph hasn't yet revealed himself to them. The episode with the silver cup is still to come in chapter 44, but this is nothing that they expected. They went full of fear. What will the man do? And they end up astonished. Astonished as, he, as this man seats them perfectly in age order. How did he know? Maybe they're starting to ask. But they leave, they go fearful, and they end up just amazed. So we see a family full of fear whose expectations are not met by any means. But what do we learn? What do we learn about living by faith and not fear? What do we learn about trusting God in the face of all the what-ifs? What could we say to Jacob and, his, and Joseph's brothers in verse 1? Well, we could quite simply say, don't be afraid. But even in doing so, we could so easily draw the wrong conclusion. 
Even looking at this story, we could draw the wrong conclusion so easily. See, the brothers are so fearful. Jacob's so fearful at the beginning. But is the conclusion, don't be afraid because it won't be as bad as you think. Don't be afraid because it'll all work out in the wash. Maybe they could start quoting songs. Don't worry. Be happy. Or even this one. Don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing's going to be all right. It'd be such a wrong conclusion. It's not the message of the story. It's a whole thing about just thinking more positively, about positive thinking. No, don't, don't worry about it. I'm sure it'll be okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. You see, the brothers and Jacob have jumped to wrong conclusions, yes, but it doesn't mean they weren't facing a difficult situation. They weren't facing a fearful task. Don't worry about a thing because every little thing's going to be all right. It's not really the message of Scripture. Our answer to them is not, just think more positively. It's all about positive thinking. It's not even, the wrong conclusion would still be, don't fear because God won't ever let anything bad happen to you. You see, we could easily draw these wrong conclusions here. Look, they were afraid, but look, it worked out brilliantly. But see, that's not the message of Scripture. God doesn't say, everything will be fine, every little thing's going to be all right. And we see through Scripture, things go wrong. We see through Scripture the, the encouragement and the exhortation, endure hardship. Persevere through trials. Keep going in the face of all sorts. And reality would tell us we know. We face all sorts of things. I know there will be many through the room today who are facing now things that are just horrible and hard and, and stuff that says... What's going to happen next? What if this never gets better? What if, what if this gets worse? What if this thing that I'm facing actually does turn out in a real mess? The answer from Genesis 43 is not just buck your ideas up and think a bit more positively. I'm sure it will never happen. I'm sure it will turn out brilliantly. That's not the answer. So what is the right conclusion? You see, the steward shines a bit of a light on this in verse 23, or gives us a clue. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. We're not going to go into the details of, well, didn't you take the silver and then Joseph told you to put the silver back in? No, he brings us to this truth. God is at work here. God is at work. What is the answer? Don't be afraid. God is at work. Trust in him. You see, the wrong conclusion would just be to say, well, I'm sure everything will probably work out well in the end. But the right conclusion here, the remedy to fear is not positive thinking. It's faith. It's believing God. Even as we've heard already through the worship, that, those two, uh, Grace and Deborah, wasn't it? I think that those messages, he reigns and he can do the impossible. 
He's the God who is above all, and he can do the impossible. You see, this is what we actually see if we look closely in here. God is at work throughout all of this, bringing his plans to fruition. God is at work here in Genesis 43. So the message to the brothers and to Jacob and to us, don't be afraid because God is in control. As Blessam pointed out a couple of weeks ago in chapter 42, Jacob gets himself into this messy position. Everything's against me. But Jacob's wrong. As Blessam pointed out to us, Jacob is wrong. Jacob is holding promises from God that will go into the future. Jacob is holding promises that God is going to do a mighty work through his family. God is at work in Jacob and his family's lives. We see the encouragement of verse 26 that we could so easily gloss over. They bowed down to him. Look, this is what God said would happen. You see, that bowing down, that dream in the first place, it's not about Jacob, Joseph sometime having a moment of triumph. <laughs> it's me. I told you you'd bow down to me. No, it's to see, look, God said this. And God's been at work in all of it and through all of it look see look here's a sign to you that I was at work see this is what I said and it's happened I'm at work over and through all of the mess I'm at work over and through all beyond this point I'm going to be still at work I'm going to keep working that's the message even of the dreams God is in control and he is working out his plans and he's with you. You see, this is what rings out throughout Scripture. When we talk about fear, when we talk about having to be strong, Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, God saying, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. That's it, isn't it? Don't be afraid. And do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go not just a command buck your ideas up that's a promise why don't be afraid why because God is with you David says to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28 20 David also said to Solomon his son be strong and courageous and do the work do not and do the work do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God my God is with you he will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Solomon, don't be afraid. Don't shrink back. Why? Because God is with you. In Isaiah 12, verse 2, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. God, he is my salvation. He is the one who is with me. I will not be afraid. Even as we look at Jesus in the boat with the disciples in Matthew chapter 8, as Jesus is woken up, he's, why are you afraid? Why is he asking the question? I'm with you. I'm here. I'm with you. The storm does look scary, but I'm with you. You see, the message to us today and to Joseph's brothers, as I'm about to fall off the stage, is not be courageous, just think more positively. Not, do not be afraid because it'll all be okay, it'll never happen. No, do not be afraid because God 
your God, the one who is powerful and over all, he is with you. Trust him and his goodness and his perfect plans. We're encouraged to know and be convinced of the truth. We're reminded again of Romans chapter 8, two different times from uh, Catherine and from uh, Gareth. That wonderful sense just before that, God works in all things for the good of those who love him. And as Catherine went on then to say, what should we say in the face of all these things? What can separate us from the love of God? And as it goes on from the bit that Gareth was, was reading. As he said, for your sake we faith death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the truth. We have a mighty, powerful God who loves us. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That wonderful truth that the steward hints at. God's at work in this. But just as we step back from this story, it's a wonderful picture for us. This is the truth. The remedy to fear is faith. To trust in the wonderful God who is with us and at work in us and at work over all things. But this passage shows us a wonderful picture of what God's done. You see this family so full of fear of what they would face. Fear of the man. The man warned us. The man said. The man might think about the silver. The man, the man, the man. This guy, we don't know who he is. He seems a bit powerful and it seems a bit scary. But the truth is that when they get there, they're faced with one who'd gone before them, one who knew them, one who was their brother. The brother who'd gone before them to bring salvation. It was Joseph they were coming to. The whole family have one who is working for them, one who is going to bring, God is going to bring salvation through. As they efface all their unknowns, actually God has gone before them. God has sent one before them who is working on their behalf. You see, the man who they fear is not actually a stranger to fear, but he's their brother who loves them. Now, there could be other reasons why they should fear Joseph. They haven't exactly always been great to him. But in reality, they have one who loves them there. You see, this picture just alludes to what Jesus has done. Jesus, who's gone before us, our brother, who's gone before us to bring salvation, to cast out fear. How do we deal with the what-ifs? How do we deal with fear? How do we trust God in all of that? 
where we believe the truth. He is in control and he is at work for our good. But in the midst of that also, we come to Jesus. Fear can be so paralyzing and so destructive. But we have a God who is greater, a saviour, and a saviour who cares for us. We see what we see here. They have a brother who's gone before them. They have one who is bringing salvation, and yet they don't know that. They don't know who it is. You see, the message for us, without knowing Jesus, actually we are trapped in fear. It's his perfect love that casts out fear. It's through him that security and salvation comes, through his blood shed at the cross. You see, as we look at this as a picture, as well as the wonderful truth that is there, we see brothers who don't recognize the one who is bringing salvation. I'd encourage you, if you don't know Jesus today, you can know him. You can know him today. He's the one who casts out fear. So what do we do? We trust God. We trust him in everything. We, we keep coming back to the truth. Keep reminding ourselves of this truth. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. But what else do we do? We come to him in prayer. Philippians 4. I'll close in a moment. Philippians 4 brings this great truth. In verse 6. Let's start before that. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Remember that truth. He is with us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do we deal with fear? How do we respond when we're facing fearful situations? We come to Jesus. Bring it to him. Bring your, present your requests to God. God, this is so hard. As Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your burdens onto Jesus because he cares for you. I'd encourage us all, let's take our fears, take our cares, take everything to him. Come to him. Ask him for more of his Holy Spirit to fill us afresh. So know the truth. Bring it all to him. And as we close, let's encourage one another. We're on a journey together. The brothers all went together to Egypt. It's maybe a slightly tenuous link. But in facing fear, in facing situations, in facing circumstances across a whole, this whole body, this whole whole body of people. Let's encourage one another. He is with you. He is with you. He is with you. And he is in control. Amen. Let's pray together.